Coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia, this is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. Welcome to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X, where we talk about the ups and downs of the business world and offer words of wisdom for business success. I'm your host, Sharon Klein, and today in the studio, we have an eco-forward artist based in Canton, Georgia. She, um, Her work focuses on finding moments of joy in the surrounding environment, giving a viewer a break from the real world. Who couldn't use that. <laughs> Let's welcome to the studio Lois Songster. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for that wonderful intro. Oh, thank you. You wrote that. So <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> you did a good job. Well, you know, it's it's artists is different. It's not like you say, I'm a plumber and I do this. You could mm-hmm. be an art in so many different mediums. So why don't we start with what your mediums are? Sure. Um, I work in a, like I'm a multimedia artist. So I work in a variety of mediums. Um, I grew up as a child um, dabbling in watercolor. So that's how I started. Oh. Um, And then I fell into college uh, gouaches, printmaking, papermaking, wood burning, um, painting on wood, like with acrylics or uh, gouaches as well, and then digital art. So like I know Adobe, I know Procreate. um, So I do a variety of stuff. You are a true multimedia Mm -hmm. artist. So, all right, you started when you were a child in watercolor. Mm -hmm. And so did you always stick with this when you were young? You just knew that you liked to create art. I always wonder where people sort of discover that their their talent or their joy is creation like that. Mm-hmm. I like that you say joy because like I've met a ton of people who say like, oh, I'm not creative. I've never been creative. And I absolutely think that's uh, not true. Everyone is creative in their own way and they find joy in what they want to do. Um, I always uh, drew things. I always liked taking out a pencil, drawing shapes. I made my own comic when I was like six. Um, and I just knew that I always wanted to do something creative. I just didn't know if I could do it as a business. And I kind of got scared away from it at the end of high school and then came back into it in college. So I think that's a big turning point for people. Right. So you went, you grew up in Athens. Mm-hmm. You went to the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you do artwork in, in college like that? I did. Um, when I was a freshman, I had to decide between being an ecology major, which is what I came in as, and then being an art major. Well, um, gosh, they're so different, aren't they? They are. Um, and I didn't know what to do because they're both very intensive. Um, I could either be ecology and basically be sad for four years, <laughs> uh, taking hard courses and then having a job. Um, or I could be an art major for four years and be very happy and learning what I want to do, but not sure how that was going to pay out. Um, and I decided to take the risk and do art school because I felt like I didn't want to torture myself for something I wasn't sure about. And um, I wanted to do like, see if I could make this work. So, okay. So that's a big leap because a lot of people, it's like saying, I want to be an actor or a voice art, voiceover artist like me, you know, right. to, to not know what your work is going to be, to not have steady work, to not know that you can count on anything that does require a big leap of faith. But how did you decide that it was worth it to you? How, what did you do to kind of make it okay? Because a lot of people have these dreams and wants, but mm-hmm. like that leap of actually doing it, it's very difficult. That's a great question. Um, well, I grew up, my parents run a small business. So part of it is like, I always saw a small business as an option. I never saw them work a corporate job. My dad uh, worked for other small businesses and then started his own. And my mom was always supporting him and being the accountant. Like she's like the office manager for all that. So they run a small business together. Um, and then when I decided to be an artist, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but if other people can figure it out and they can do it, I can make it work too. And being around other artists as well, um, I had a lot more business mentality already in college. So I was like, 
look, if I can't make it work, then none of these guys are gonna make it work either. So I got to try. <laughs> so you felt like you had the right support and sort of mm-hmm. a good foundation of what you could expect as a small business owner, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a growing up around that. So I kind of yeah. knew how difficult it could be. I, I, there wasn't any like rose tinted glasses about like, no, I'll just fall into it. I'll start making money my first year. Like, no, like, <laughs> it takes work. It takes time to build up the revenue to actually like support yourself on your small business. What did you start with when you were first making your business? What was your first sort of art or product that you were making money from? So when I started my business, um, it was about two years after college because I kind of everyone graduates college and they're like, what now? Um, (laughs) And so I kind of panicked and had a lot of jobs figuring out what I wanted to do, how I was going to build up my art. And then I had a part time job as a legal assistant. And that allowed me enough time to start doing and this was during COVID. Oh wow! Um, I saw that a lot of artists were struggling during this time, but I also saw a lot of people getting uh, COVID pets. And I was thinking, if people were going to spend money on art, it was going to be for their pets that they were now spending a lot more time with. So I started doing pet portraits a lot. Oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. That was good marketing in your mind, I guess. You know, you put that together. This is where people's loves and hearts are. Mm-hmm. Let me make it more, you know, I mean, who doesn't love something personalized about their pet? Yeah. I I don't care what it is, an ornament, a mug. (laughs) I don't know. People love all of that. Yeah. It's a whole market. And it's also like, that's kind of what I work in. I like drawing environmentally things. I like drawing um, mythological things and I like drawing pets. So that just kind of fell right in line for me. Wow. That was so smart. I know it's interesting too, because so many people, we talk about what it's like on during the pandemic on the show in particular, and some how people adapted. Some people mm-hmm. didn't survive and wound up doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories is um, Bananas and Beehives, Lori Sutton. She talks about how they had a f- storefront, but then during the pandemic, they really wound up wholesaling more. And now that's almost strictly what they do. Right. And But that they flowed with the circumstance that they were in. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you did the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, I had, I think a lot of people had time to think and having that space to think really helps you figure out like, what do I want to do? Like, how is this going to work? And I didn't want to run an art business if I couldn't make it work. And that was the most important thing for me. Like, I love art, but if I can't make it a sustainable business, then it's not right for me or I'm doing something wrong and I have to pivot and find something creative I can do and I can do art on the side, but like, I need to make it work. Right. And mm-hmm. you were talking about environmentalism. You have a, a passion for that in your art. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so I grew up, that's again, my parents' influence. Um, we were always eco-minded growing up and I really appreciated that. Um, and in my art, I saw a lot of other artists when there was ecological art being made, um, very obviously styled for like recycled fibers, like any kind of eco fashion 10 years ago. You could see the recycled fibers. You could see the tan coloring. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to find a way to design things in an environmentally friendly or sustainable fashion without needing to have that style to it. I didn't think that was necessary. So you can do that by sourcing local, sourcing zero waste. So I use um, a shipping company, Eco Enclose, zero waste. Uh, recycled packaging and anything on that website and it's pretty close to regular packaging as well so that's one way that I'm like very environmentally conscious wow I have not heard of this before though oh I'm happy to share them they're a great website I use them for all my packaging and then other examples as well so I partner with a local print shop in my hometown so then all my prints are made uh, locally rather than like 
uh, large corporations, um, smaller carbon footprint as well for traveling. Um, they make sure that they use bamboo paper. So like that's environmentally friendly. It's a good source for paper. And then they also work with recycled products as well. Um, cause we made, we worked on that agreement together. How difficult is it? Do you think for a company to go that route? Is it, is the challenge just really in their mind or is it, would it be a real adjustment? It depends. Like I've talked to other clients before when I'm working on art stuff, like, and I come to them saying, this is how I work. Um, if you don't work like that, then we can't work together. Um, and we have those environmental discussions for large companies or small companies to pivot to environmental environmentalism. I think it's depends on their values. Um, sometimes certain industries, it might cost, um, more overhead and then you'll see returns later on, which is a hard sell. Um, (laughs) Well, you're talking about the environment where there's sometimes there isn't anything quantifiable. You can't measure it exactly, right? You can't. Um, but you're also talking to a company that wants to make a profit at the end. And if that's cutting into their profits, like I don't like that, but I can't disagree. I disagree with it either. Um, and so it's just a continuing conversation. Same with like, getting solar power as an energy source now, like convincing homeowners to do that. Um, Nowadays, it's the conversation of no other utility can bring you back money like solar can. Like you're actually getting money back on your power, but that's another conversation. (laughs) Um, For environmentalism and art, it's more of like, it might be a little bit more upfront, but then you can always label yourself as that. So do you do you think that environmentalism is also what inspires you for your art? Mm, I think it's just a necessary part of it. I think if I want to run my own business, this is just a natural part of that, um, of that process. Like I don't make things, sometimes I make things politically motivated in my art and (laughs) environmentalism is one of them. Um, but generally I don't make subjects so much about that, uh, Partially because I don't want to remind people of what's happening in the world around <laughs> I like me. that you want people to escape. I mean, it actually is a gift in this way because mm-hmm. it's so much of what we see on our phones and everything in front of us all the time has got some message about something we should be spending or doing. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about being inspired of, with something beautiful, I mean, that's a t- totally different um, reaction, totally different motivation. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about sort of what inspires you and what kind of artwork is your favorite. So I, I struggled with that idea for a long time because throughout art school, um, seeing things on social media, you see all these arts, like there's so many artists making such good art (laughs) and way better than me. Like, I just know that. Um, but what they talk about is a lot of the time, either a lot of things are happening in the world around them. They make responses to that. There's, um, protest art where people are reacting and trying to educate people on what's going on in the world. And I struggled with that saying, thinking, um, should I be doing this? Is this my place where I need to be educating people as well and letting them know about what's going on? And if I try to make escapism art, um, am I helping people in that way? Am I just running away from the problems and trying to bury my head in the sand? And I was worried about that and beating myself about it. Um, really interesting too, because you feel like you almost have a responsibility, uh but then you also don't want to to create stress for someone. Yeah. And that's what I came to. Um, I realized that it's not, I'm not trying to escape. I'm just trying to bring comfort um, for myself selfishly. And then also for other people where I want them to look at my art. And I've had these comments before when I've had shows or people have seen my large works where they're like, I just liked looking at it. I don't know why I just, it just felt <laughs> nice to look at. And that, that, com- that one comment, like I have had a, that a couple times and 
that's been the thing that's stuck in my head. Nothing else. People saying, I like your work or I like the message or whatever, or I have some sassy stickers that (laughs) people just chuckle at. But the comment of it's just pretty to look at. And I just, it makes me really happy. That's the best thing I've ever (laughs) heard. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think too, it's art is so interesting because it's so subjective. It's the same as a voiceover artist. Not everybody, can you believe it? Not everybody likes the lights on. God, I was going to do it without laughing. Oh, uh, not everybody likes how I sound, believe it or not. But it's interesting in that way because there is a voice for every art, you know, every, I guess, person out there that wants to sell something. But there's art for every kind of person. There is. And it's finding your audience for that or just like this constant struggle for an artist. Like, oh gosh, any artist you talk to, and I'm sure voiceover as well, there's going to be imposter syndrome of just like, I'm not good enough for this or I can't do this. I've talked to people who've worked for Cartoon Network, who work in big companies and stuff like that. And they still say like, I think I'm a fraud. Yeah, I know. I can't believe they let me in this building still. Like I know the code and everything. Like how come (laughs) at some point it's going to be over? Right. And so that's like everyone's personal struggle of like the reason of should I be making this art? Do people actually like this? Like I'm going to show it to you on the (laughs) internet. But Like is this okay? (laughs) Well, you were talking about knowing your audience. Who do you think your audience is? Mm, Instagram says it's people between 20 and 35 (laughs) um, female but uh, who I think my audience is I think it's a mixture of people like there I have these like what I said sassy stickers are kind of these funny animals and people like this the messages or they kind of cackle at like yes so you do make you make stickers as well which I don't think we had mentioned but you do and you've got uh, several of them on your website so it's kind of cute to see the different sassiness but like what so so your art they think your audience is like 20 to 25 year old females right (laughs) that's so funny because they're really specific oh instagram like yeah it can really pinpoint audiences of like this is your demographic right here and tiktok's the same it can pinpoint very specific groups or even tell you where people are viewing the videos and i'm like "Hmm, that's a i have a large american audience that makes sense (laughs) but sometimes i'm like oh someone looked at me from italy that's cool (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So um, let's talk about your stickers because that's like a huge thing right now. I've seen lots of different kinds of like even at Wipeout, there's stickers. There's mm-hmm. the, like the hedgehog, hedgehog yes, sticker. Those are cute. Yeah, they are cute. So tell me about what inspired you to do that. Um, so I have quite a few stickers and they're different inspirations. There's these, um, I do vinyl stickers because I want them you can't get away environmentally with like paper stickers don't last long and I don't want people to pay for that. Like if they're just going to water away. Um for the vinyl stickers, I want them to last a long time. If I'm going to make something made out of plastic, let it last a long time. Gotcha. Make it worth it. Um, but for the sassy animal ones, it was kind of after there had been some political rumblings um, about rights of women and their bodies. And I was kind of, I don't usually make politically minded stickers, but I was in this case trying to vent some of my feelings about that. And so I made like a skunk that said my body, my stink. <laughs> I made, um, like things like that, yeah. like little messages that are kind of like towing the line, but not trying to be trying to make a joke out of it, mm-hmm. make it humorous mm-hmm. um, in a way. Cause I don't like the such heavy handed of like, or the aggression of it. I know there's a lot of anger out there, but I want, I just want someone to laugh or like <laughs> kind of chuckle being like, ha ha. Um, or like, uh, I have this print and the sticker of this raccoon that says, today I've chosen violence. And I'm like, you know, sometimes you wake up with a mood. <laughs> and today's mood. My, cho- yeah, and my choice. That is not to be like frowned upon. Like sometimes people are like, don't touch me. And that's an okay emotion to have. Uh, so you use social media a good bit for your art. Yes. Is- I'm, a, I'm a millennial. I heavily <laughs> use social media. <laughs> Was there life before social media for you? Pretty much no. No. Yeah. I have a childhood memory of like 
starting onto Facebook and like being like, wow, I can be friends with everyone. Like I remember the beginnings of Facebook, so I'm dating myself. <laughs> okay, well, um, how do you as an artist distinguish yourself um, on social media and how do you use it, social mm -hmm. media for yourself? And do you also advertise? That's something people talk about. Like on Facebook, you can buy an ad or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering what you do in order to use social media to grow your business. So I do use social media. I think it's an important I do think it's an important connection point. I've met wonderful artists through there. I've had wonderful conversations. I've seen people who react to my art in such a wonderful way. Um, I also think it's a cancer that like people <laughs> doom scroll. I think people um, get really addicted to it. And yes. I think it it's just, we don't talk about the moderation of it so much. It's either one or the other. It's not like, hey, maybe just use a little bit of it. And when you catch yourself, just stop. Or like, you know, maybe not make that comment when you're really agitated right now. Um, <laughs> that so, requires discipline. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get a notification every Sunday about how often or how long I've been on my phone, how many hours or whatever, which is kind of horrifying. But you're right. There is um, a balance. And I think mm -hmm. it's very easy to get out of balance completely. Yeah. And I think it's like it'll be a continuing conversation. But I, I think it's like here to stay. I think it'll just change in different ways. Right. But I do think there needs to be conversations of moderation or not just like throwing away new ways to connect with people because there are good things about it. Like exactly. I think people have had wonderful communities on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Um, although worries about TikTok being banned in the United States, probably <laughs> fair. Um, but there's going to be some form of that. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're on TikTok. Yeah. I'm going to friend you. <laughs> you're on Instagram. Thanks. I don't know if I've friended you there yet. You're also on LinkedIn. I am. Where else yeah. can people find you? Like where else do you have, do you have pictures of your art on your website as well? I do. Okay. Um, so and I these have, are for sale as well? Yeah. Okay. So I do a web store. Um, I think any small business owner in the arts having multiple stream, streams of rent, uh, sorry, can't talk. <laughs> revenue is really important. So mm -hmm. not just relying on a web store and not just relying on like Patreon or stuff like that. Like make sure that you have a well-rounded cushion, kind of like investing. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but you also have, um, stores where you'll do, or you'll go to an art show or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. So tell I'll do conventions. About that. Oh, you do conventions. Yeah. Well, dang. <laughs> so tell us where you go, where, where can people find your art in person if they ever wanted to? Uh, I set up a schedule, so I'll tell people when I'm going somewhere. The last convention I went to was uh, SakuraCon in Seattle, which was awesome. It was really big. So many fun people there. Um, people made comments about my art because it wasn't fandom. So it was like, wow, this is like really different. And I'm like, good. I like it. <laughs> so explain to me fandom. So as if you were drawing like a, a Spider-Man or something like that? Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like, and it depends on the convention. There's all these rules, like kind of this whole community of artists who just go to conventions. They'll go to like 10 in a year. Wow. And you can make some good money there. Um, but you need to know your market. And you and some conventions are kind of anti-fandom. So they're like, you can't, you have to have original content. And artists try to sneak under that and be like, oh, it's not this show's character. It's like, uh, they're like, if my original character of that, you know, it's not but It's like a lot of kind of like dodging the rules or trying to see if you can actually get through selling merch. Um, some others are, don't care about that, but it's kind of the wild west of like different conventions, especially after COVID, like those things have exploded. No way. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, um, so what would you say is your favorite type of artwork to create? When I have time, I really do like painting gouache on wood. So um, gouache, we had talked about it before the show because mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I said it correctly. <laughs> and I'm so glad you said it a couple of yeah. times. I'm like, that's right. What is gouache? Um, okay. People who know it are going to get mad at me because I don't know the chemical makeup of it. But I like to describe it as if you know watercolors, watercolors are a beautiful transparent layer. You can build up the colors. You always kind of have to protect the white on the paper. 
And gouache is a much more, uh, is a thicker matte variety, I would say, of watercolor. It comes in smaller tubes. Um, it's a beautiful, hmm, I don't know how to describe the texture, um, but just think of it as this flat matte kind of wash that you can get. Um, and it's a very, it's thicker than transparent. So okay. It's, it's a really beautiful material when you see it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you like to create art using that right. medium. It flows. It's a very lovely flow. Um, and it has beautiful pastel colors. Like all the Instagram artists are like, I use this brand and it's these beautiful, like peachy colors. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So what do you like to, ima- so can you imagine describing some of the art that you've loved for a listener who's trying to picture it in their head? Mm-hmm. I make, um, like very bright colors, um, either mythical creatures, kind of like my own creatures that I make up in my head, or I have animals usually on of larger size, <laughs> usually very comfortably fed, um, <laughs> and also just like uh, organic scenes. So like environments of flowers or um, native uh, plants and things like that. Uh, those are the kind of things that inspires me. I really like doing um, animal-like designs. Got you. And specifically, we were talking about um, how you have been able to do dogs, mm-hmm. you know, as, as something. So do you still help people like do artwork for their dogs? Um, I can. I have commissions closed currently because I'm pivoting. Um, I just don't really have the time right now. I'm oh, okay. pivoting to doing murals or uh, wholesale, which is a whole different beast. Um, and I'm and other things as well, like reopening my Patreon, changing up the merch in my store. So like I have a lot of things going on right now. What was it like to create this business? And so you have your name of your business, mm-hmm. Eon Hawk. Eon Hawk, yeah. So, and it's an LLC. That's like what mine is as well. Mm-hmm. So if someone were looking into creating their own business that is art, what would you suggest are the best ways to get started? Like, uh, I mean, you think about it. You're yeah. relatively young and here you have this great company that you've created. You know, Thank that's, you. that's intimidating it. for someone who doesn't know even where to start. Yeah. And I always like any artist can reach out to me if they find me and they're like, Hey, I'm trying to start. What do I do? And I'm like, I'll take care of you. I'll, <laughs> I'll help you however I can. <laughs> so uh, sweet. Cause I love like, it's hard for artists. Like either if you're self-taught or you go to school, they don't talk about how to start a business. They talk about how to be an artist. But nowadays being an artist and running a business is the same thing in my mind. So I have a lot of conversations, the same conversations with artists of they're stuck. They don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, this is what I did. And maybe it'll work for you. Maybe not. But I can at least be a voice to like listen to you. And it's kind of also like comforting. Like yes. a lot of artists are panicking. of like, I don't know what to do. Am I good enough? And I'm like, yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> How sweet is that? Yeah. But people need a hand. It mm-hmm. is a scary world out there, especially when you're talking about someone who uses, is it their, their right brain so much as a creative way, but you really need to be able to access the logic part to be able to have a business plan or, you know, accessing or numbers, you know, keeping your budget or whatever it is. So I think you're right. These days you, you have to be strong in both ways. Right. And we're just like opening up for support. So many artists have talked to you are like, I'm going to make my own website. I'm going to run my own business. I'm going to try and do my accounting. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't have to do all that. And no one expects a small business to do that. Don't, don't do that because you're not going to be good at it. All of it. I'm not. What do you recommend they do? Um, when starting a business, I like seeing, what are you producing and what would you like to go into? And then I talked to them about making a plan. Um, how much revenue do you want to make from this or what are your steps for that? And when do you want to start? Because I've had artists being like, Oh, you do stickers. Can I start doing inventory? And I'm like, it took me two years before I even felt like jumping off into doing this full time. Like you are not going to start immediately unless you're lucky or very talented or have been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. But no, 
not everyone is like that. <laughs> the and average isn't, right? No. And for art especially, it is a slow turning wheel. Like you have got to get the presence of it. You've got to get inventory up. You've got to get like your idea of like your style. And like I still work on those things or tweak them all the time. But you have to get into the routine of making in order to start selling or getting your feet wet and getting recognized by people. Okay, so there's two things I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, one is how do you keep your inventory going? So do you create art every day? Do you have to schedule it for yourself? Mm-hmm. Do you have to have business hours so that you don't burn yourself out? Mm-hmm. I keep business hours. Like I'm trying now not to work during the weekend as much unless I want to make something for myself. Um, and I've seen, I've talked to other artists, like having a schedule and structure helps most people. Um And if not that, then at least having a clear idea of what do you want to make? Like having a clean idea of who you are as an artist and then what do you make that fills that niche? You don't have to keep organized like that. You can do a lot of different things, but either continuously making in a healthy, regular way um, or being mindful of breaks. So you're like, I've been making for a while, so let me just take a break for a little bit. Um, Being aware of holidays, like most artists start making for Christmas four months in advance oh wow oh yeah um and getting all that ready if mm. there's any challenges that are happening on the internet that can help float your brand uh get those ready in advance but that also requires a very organized person mm. i am not perfect about that i'm aware of what would be best <laughs> i don't hit that all the time <laughs> do you think it's really important for someone to have sort of their own niche like that i think it helps a lot and i think if you're not actively finding one you're gonna fall into one um, cause like artists kind of like they might develop their own style and then people just go to them cause they're like, no one else makes something like this. Mm. There's an artist. Um, I don't know if you know anything about magic, the gathering. I um, do a little bit. Yeah. So Seb McKinnon, um, he's a fantastic artist and I found him through those cards and now I just love his art on just for what he does. I haven't seen another artist make work like he does. Um, and I think he's just found a crowd of people who love his work because he's made his own niche. I don't think he was intentional in going in that direction. He just created what he loved and was very intentional in his inspirations to do that. Um, But people now love him and search for his cards because he is so different than anyone else who creates cards for those industry. So it's similar for a lot of artists who might not follow that. Interesting. So, um, and and have you ever considered maybe doing something similar where you are part of a bigger project? Mm, Yes, I think so. But I want to get my own following larger first and like get more of my awareness out there first before I start going for the big corporations. Cause like those kind of places are like applications that can take years or like you have to have a very strong personal style to do that. It, it depends. Okay. It's a whole world. I don't know anything about. I thought you just jump in. It's (laughs) fascinating though, right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I just assume some things will be easy until you get there and you're like, no, this isn't easy. We were just talking about that with like voiceover work. A lot Mm -hmm. of people ask me, I want to do it. You know, I think I could do it. I've always wanted to do it. Like, let's talk about like the background of, because you can jump in some, Mm -hmm. you know, but most often it takes a lot of practice and work and instruction and understanding the industry. And so I I guess I was similar with you with your question where I'm like, what can't you just like go do it? (laughs) But isn't that fascinating? Like I love learning about industries. I know nothing about, I don't know anything about voiceovers and I would love after this to talk to you more about like, how does that work? And not because I'm interested in doing it myself, just because I don't know it. Right. So that's a lot of art where I can find new things in the art world of like, I didn't even know you could use wax crayons for this. Or I didn't know you could reverse engineers, uh, engineer watercolors. Like my new, 
crow fixation or hyperfixation is um, making your own inks from scratch. So like now's the season to be collecting certain plants to make your own dyes or make your own inks. And that's so cool. I've heard that's how you create indigo. Yes. Can it's you a beautiful plant? <laughs> it is beautiful and it's a special color blue. It's a really gorgeous blue. It's like, um, I can't even describe the color. I wish if this was a visual medium, I'd be showing it right now. <laughs> um, holding up our phones to no right. one. <laughs> but um, yeah, indigo is a very famous and well-known idea of that. But you can make like, I use walnut ink sometimes and that's from um, processing walnut. So then it's this beautiful brown, almost black ink that has this musky smell to it until it, like kind of kills some of the bacteria in it um, or like the living organic matter in it. And that's a really cool ink to use. When you look at art, that's something like Native American art where they did use things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, can you ever tell, oh, I know what they use to make this? Oh, it depends. Like each culture has a different process for how they make their inks and it's even different um, of course than modern day processing of ink or how even people scavenge today because we have like soda ash and stuff like that Um, soda ash don't ask me what's in there i Uh, I know i used it for um, paper making and stuff like that i have no idea what it's made of (laughs) i've never heard of it it's like two words you just threw together i would have been like yeah soda ash could be anything it's a soft like i felt it before it's a soft ash like material um my college professors are going to be pissed. Oh, that's no, okay. We'll move on. But, <laughs> all right. So what other kinds of um, organic materials do you use to make ink? I'm thinking like, is it like berries? You can use like berries, leaves, flowers, roots. Um, ash makes a beautiful gray black. Um, and, you know, charcoal is like a traditional way to make like a black as well. Totally makes uh, sense. Mm-hmm. So like there's tons of organic varieties like bark stuff, like whatever you see out there will make a color of some kind. You just might be surprised by like how many browns there are. Uh, <laughs> or greens, I imagine too. Uh, it Actually green, I think is hard to make. Like it, it, from what I know, so there's a color museum. I don't know where in the United States, but they keep in preserve like very rare pigments that can't be made anymore or very hard to make. So there are stones that you can use to make blue or greens um like lapis lazuli is from that color is from a stone that is hard to find nowadays and then there's very famous examples like mummy brown which you can't make anymore mummy brown can you guess why it's you're not allowed to make it anymore (laughs) well i'm assuming they used it with mummies mummy bandages bandages mummy bandages or maybe mummy parts i'm not sure but it was a very very specific brown Um, so they have they have that preserved in the color museum and you can kind of see a little bit of it, and they use it for art restoration purposes or for research purposes, but not normal person can't get it anymore. Wow, so a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> We're not normal. We can get it. <laughs> I like that you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so how do you, business-wise, mm-hmm. how do you manage what is the natural feeling, the natural emotion of fear? How do you manage to believe in yourself enough to keep going where, you know, if you don't make a certain amount of money per month or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's very easy for people to fall back into what they know as a standard. Mm -hmm. And so what is your fearless formula? I'm going to make a joke of the secret is I don't. Um, (laughs) Stop. (laughs) You got to do concrete. Oh, I know. (laughs) Fake it till you make it. That's that's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You go in with the plan. Like you make sure that you can build up revenues of enough of like, If I keep this up, um, you have a security blanket of funds. You make sure that you have savings going into it of like, I can do this. Like I had a conversation with my fiance of like, I'm going to do this for six months. If I'm not making money or at least breaking even or not making money by this time, we have a conversation about what I need to do 
I might need to retract and not ready to go fully freelance yet. And that's not a failure. That's a learning. You're like, I'm figuring out how to be freelance. I'm not ready to do that yet. It's kind of like a baby bird deciding to fly and they're like, not ready yet. (laughs) No, hold on. Give me like two more weeks and I'll be good to go. Um, So you make sure that you keep a security blanket of emergency funds on you. So then if anything is to happen, if you get hurt, you make sure that you have disability insurance or something. Um, And you make sure that you take time if like your body is breaking down. Like you sit in a chair all day or you're working and you're like, I need to take a break. It's very easy when you're starting a business to think, I have to work 12 hours a day. I have to catch yes, up. I'm behind. because you're competing and you don't want to miss an opportunity. Right. And you're not behind. I'm telling you right now, go drink that water. Go stand up and go look at some trees just for like 30 minutes. Yeah, Trust me, your body, you'll be able to last a lot longer if you do that. Truth, because pe- like people talk about that, about how hard it is to shut their phones off and know that this is dinner time, this is my family time. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about an artist who's local like you, but you also, being on social media, you're all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have anyone needing something from you at any moment. Right, yeah. I've had um, commissions in other parts of the world, like in England and Canada. Um, I've sent it off to different uh, parts of the country. So it's like, yes, I could do that. But if I'm very clear that I work nine to five in my time zone, people are very respectful of that. Yeah. If you set boundaries, you get a lot more respect from your clients that way. That I learned that the hard way. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I can um, take in for my own because it's very easy for me to be like, what you want me? Yes. And I don't care what it costs, you know, in that yeah. way. But I also know if that were to happen over and over and over again, I would burn out very quickly. Yes. I think there's like specific people you can be like that for because you trust them or you know them or you built a relationship with them and they might do the same for you. Great. But as a small business owner in general, and especially as a creative, people are always going to want your time. People are always going to want something free from you. I I can't tell you how many times people are like, oh, this is great exposure or would you like to do this for free? And I have to set the boundaries. Um, It strategies I've developed of like, I'm only available from nine to five. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Automatic responses, um, having time off on the weekends and you can do art if you want, but it's not a requirement. Um, and then also for like free items, limit yourself to like three free projects in a year or have some kind of number and make sure that once you hit that, you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. I've hit my quota for this year. Talk to me again next year. I love that because you're teaching people how to treat you as an artist and how to look at you as an artist. Yeah. And having those, it's, it's basically what I call, um, educating your client of like, you're training them on how to respect and respond to you and no one's ever going to be mad. Okay. Wait, a reasonable (laughs) person will never be mad that you set boundaries because they also want those boundaries in return. And they, and you have set a clear deadline of I'll be done by this time or we'll get the project done. Constant communication is key for any creative relationship. I've seen so many creative projects um, crash and burn um, around because an artist just drops off or something happens and they don't talk. Like it scares the heck out of me when I have to make a call being like, hey, this project, it's going to be late. Something <laughs> has happened. But the client would rather know and respond than just not know what's happening. Well, that takes some self-esteem, though, I would have to say, and mm-hmm. and strengthen knowing that you're doing the best you can because you, not everybody's strong like that. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the dreaded phone call of saying, I can't do what you're actually paying me to do in the way that you want. Oh, yeah. But there have been many times that's happened to me this past year. Um, in this year, I had a death in the family. And so having to explain to the author of this book, like, I have to take two weeks off. I hated saying it. Mm-hmm. But Someone who values your work, I can see how they would be like, well, whatever it takes, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know that the author was incredibly kind to me 
And I, I tell you what, there's something very wonderful about having someone look at you as a human, not just for what you're doing, but just the fact that you're here on the planet mm-hmm. trying to juggle a bunch of different things. I have such um, gratitude toward that particular author, and I'm sure you've had moments where people have been willing to work with you. And it's like, yes, I'm a human too. <laughs> yeah, Not just a voice, or you're not just an artist. Yeah, I've had moments where I've really appreciated the clients where they give me time, and I'm like, I'm sorry, like, this is going on, or like, I'm having some stall problems right now like you know i'm stalling in my works like i'm figuring this out i can talk with you next week but like just give me a little bit of time and they've been great so and then i've had clients who like don't respect that or Mm. they get frustrated and impatient and i'm like hi here's a (laughs) refund um i don't think we're going to work well together anymore i think this is the better option wow like learning to fire your clients is like also important you don't don't do it all the time don't fire every client but every once in a while, a client you, needs to get fired. You just know it's not a good fit. Yeah. And it's not like, it just means the relationship isn't working. It's not a bad thing. It's not a failure. It's just like, I'm sorry, this is not going to work out. I like that you look at it from a very objective point of view mm-hmm. because some people could take that so personally. Oh yeah. I, in hindsight, everything's objective in hindsight. Like when I'm in the middle of it, the first time I was like, <gasps> like what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, this is like terrible. Yeah. I got fired from like a book. I think one of my first firings was like a book Arthur and I'd been working with him for months trying to get this right. And he just wasn't going to be happy. It wasn't going to be what he wanted. And I knew it wasn't me. I was really trying my best. I was so excited about this. And then like the publisher office like came to me and was like, Hey, he doesn't want to work with you anymore. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) Me? The worst. Me? How did you deal with that though? In the moment it's painful. It was painful. I think I took a day or two to like I think processing emotions is very important. It's not bad. Like as a baby artist, I was like, I'm going to go cry. This is my fault. Um, And then after that, I stepped back and I was like, all right, to be honest though, I wanted him to fire me. He was insane. Um, (laughs) This was for the best, honestly. And I got to keep like most of the money. So like we're good. And I just walked away from that, like took a breath and I was like, don't have to talk about that again. Moving on. Yeah. Only one time have I had a very difficult book author who I just could not please. I was would verbatim do back exactly what they're wanting. And then they would just mm. be like, why did you do it that way? I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I was not trying to create trouble for myself, but I finally did have to fire them. And I had never done that before. It was very uncomfortable for me. However, very empowering <laughs> because I was miserable. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why am I doing this? Why? You know, I do commit and I sign a contract and. But I like that you're the same where it's like I had to protect my own, well, mental health here. And that was more important to me than whatever they were paying me. And isn't it a relief? Like, you know, you did the right thing when you step away from that and you're like, wow, like this weight has just lifted off of me. Like, I feel like I can work again and like breathe. Yeah, because I went back and found the book that they found somebody else to do Mm -hmm. and listened to it. And I was like, yeah, I did not sound like that. So. Ultimately, and it was just misaligned needs. Yes. Like it wasn't a bad thing. No. Like there was nothing on your character. It just didn't work out. No, it did not. It was uh, very, very interesting. But I like that you've had similar experiences and you mm-hmm. bounce back. And I have too. I mean, that's part of just being a human. You just figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I did feel wiser afterwards. So, yeah, I felt a lot wiser. There was a lot of red flags to help me get away from that. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I'm going to look for those next time. It's just like, yeah, I, we could talk red flags all day. I bet. <laughs> Um, all right, Lois, let's talk about where people can find you if they're interested in seeing where you where your artwork is going to be in person and how they can look up some of your stickers. And, oh, wait, wait. I wanted to talk to you quickly about tattoos. You sure. said that you do tattoos from home, like temporary I tattoos. I do. So I love temporary tattoos because I have like a FOMO, like not fear of missing out, but like. <laughs> 
I don't fear of commitment. Fear of commitment. Yes. Exactly. Of uh, permanent tattoos. I've designed permanent tattoos. I've had people get them. But for me, I just, I cannot do that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm going to look at something 10 years later and be like, even if I design it, I'm going to be like, I hate this. <laughs> um, so temporary tattoos are a way to get around that. Um, and what you can do is I design something on Procreate. So I use my iPad or Photoshop. And then I go, you can print it right out. You set it up on Photoshop to have a eight and a half by 11 sheet. You can get these temporary tattoo sheets on Amazon. There's better ones like Inkbox and stuff like that are coming out with really amazing uh, tattoos. But you can go on Amazon and get some nice temporary tattoo paper. You print it out, you cut it out, and then you just apply it like a regular temporary tattoo. And you can have color on it. It prints it right on the sheet or you can do black and white, like whatever you want. So I could at home create my own temporary tattoo if I wanted. I never even knew that. I know. Like, so how I found it was I was just looking through Etsy because sometimes I'm like, what are people selling? Um, (laughs) It's a great idea. What could you be doing potentially? Pinterest and Etsy are great for just kind of seeing like what people are selling. And I saw this one um, store selling temporary tattoos for your kids when they go to parks. Um, So then the phone number is on their arm and it stays on for the day. So then if they get lost... The name and the phone number is right on their arm. And I was like, oh, well, why don't you just do like I want to do self-help temporary tattoos of like remember to drink water or a little bitty image to make you smile. And so that's what I started doing. So your energy really is of making the world a better place. Oh, thanks. It is right. Like you're consi- <laughs> like you're talking about giving people inspiration of not only just taking care of their physical health, but their mental health, too. Yeah, I guess so. I I just I don't know. I want to take care of people. Or I just want to people to look at my art and be like, oh, I need to take a breath. Like I want them to have that space. And I think there's very clever visual ways to do that without like writing it or having it on a calendar or looking at your medication or like whatever. A phone alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you could have a fun little temporary tattoo. It's like, did you drink water? And you're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I think there's fun ways to remind yourself of like taking care of yourself. But also that, that play, and I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but that also plays in your art too, because you're talking about how you're giving people um, an escape from the stresses of life Mm -hmm. and you're giving them like we were talking about joy or something beautiful to look at, Mm -hmm. which I think is underestimated in the world. I I think, well, yeah, that's very relevant for all the news articles and stuff like being very negative. I think it's, it gets a lot of views that way, but like, I think quiet, but strong joy and cheer um, although that sounds really cheesy, um, <laughs> I think it's really important. I think that's a very strong undercurrent of just caring for people. And I just, you know, I want people to feel like they can take a break when they look at what I make. I love it because it, it's like the energy of who you are gets played out in lots of different ways. Yes. You know, exactly through your medium. It. Yeah. Which is kind of like the dream. You know? I, yeah, I hope so. I like that my art, and it's a struggle. Like, you know, artists, you feel influenced by things on social media of like, I should be drawing this cat because this cat's <laughs> really famous right now. Um, so it's hard to like put yourself out there. I, I mean, I, I just took a break from social media because I was like, I can't do this. I, I need a break, guys. I can't. I'm not going to be consistent. And immediately I started drawing things that I wanted to draw, and I didn't feel pressure pressure from that. Um, so it's hard to like, it. it's a strength to be yourself and to put yourself out there in a world that's constantly telling you not to be yourself to conform. Yeah. To conform or just to be like, it's a vulnerable thing, like showing your art and putting it out there. That's a very vulnerable thing. And I think with social media, it's become faster and easier and you see everyone doing that. So you feel like you're expected to do the same, but it is hard to do that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much, Lois. How can people find you? What's your website? Yeah, so my website is www.eonhawk.com. Um, I'm on Instagram under the same name, Eon Hawk. That's the one I use the most. I'm re-into TikTok now. Um, <laughs> re-into? Yeah, it's it's a love-hate relationship <laughs> on TikTok. Um, and then you can also always message me on Instagram or send a message through my website, and I will happily talk to you about anything. You want to talk about the weather? Fine. You want to talk about art or like what's going on in your visual like brain? Fine. I'm, I'm there for you. Always be ready to be inspired, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and sharing. I've always wanted to kind of hear about your backstory. And, and I appreciate people who have artist minds and are creative this way because I find there's so many different ways to be creative. But one of the best joyful moments I've ever had is when a little bit of media goes out in the world that came from like my brain or Mm -hmm. my voice and it just makes me feel like so special. So thank you for doing the same for people, giving people an opportunity to see who you are in a way that they can receive it well, you know, and and have access and maybe even be in their house. You know, that's the, that's the idea, but I really appreciate being on here. This is a wonderful setup. And if anyone ever gets invited, um, this room is amazing. It's so wonderfully decorated. It's so cool. So I'm so happy to be here speaking with you. Oh, awesome. Well, I know. I'll have to tell. All right, Stone, if you're listening, this studio is amazing. <laughs> I should take more video and put it on social media for it. Yeah, no I can, can help you it. with that. Yeah, yeah, you can. Girl, we'll talk after the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X. And again, this is Sharon Klein reminding you that with knowledge and understanding, we can all have our own fearless formula. Have a great day.